0: Hello and welcome to The Conversation. I am your host, Nando Vila, and we've got two great interviews lined up for you today. The first is with Angelo Carasone. Angelo is the CEO and President of Media Matters, which is a nonprofit organization. And the United States premier media watchdog. They watch all the Fox News clips, so you don't have to. And then they get you the best bits. So Angelo, how are you? How's it going? I'm good, yeah, thanks for having me. Hanging in there? Yeah,
1: and we're holding together. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm in DC, so it's like especially tense
0: here right now. Wow, yeah, I can imagine. Obviously, a lot of news happened. There was that thing that happened last week in DC. <laughs> I want to ask first about your reaction to Twitter and Facebook banning Donald Trump.
1: Well, I think any kind of action against him was long overdue. Um, and it's appropriate, right uh even though you know now once that said, when you start to get into the nuts and bolts of it, uh you know they didn't enforce any rules against him for as long as he was on the platforms, and so um, it always kind of feels a little arbitrary and out of nowhere. Um, that's the first. I always wonder about what does that mean for the future for similar kinds of crackdowns. Um, but at its core, it's an extremely appropriate action. Um, I mean, he violated their rules on such a regular basis. So at its core, appropriate, long overdue. Um, the thing that strikes me though is, you know, while Twitter did make it a ban, um, Facebook kind of pulled a sleight of hand. Uh, they said that he was definitely suspended for two weeks, but it is not a permanent ban. Um, they have been. Actually pretty insistent on refusing to uh, commit to that um, they all they keep saying is that it's an undetermined amount of time and uh, which tells me that is that they're hoping eventually the pressure dials down and everybody kind of moves on and then you know Facebook could become sort of the the center of gravity for trump's rage
0: posting and you mentioned it briefly but um, what is your reaction to people who are skeptical of something like the Trump ban, meaning that, like, what are, you know, how are these standards kind of applied on a principle basis? Like, will this yeah. be, will there be blowback for, like, you know, progressive activists or, you know, people who are, who support BDS or something like that? Um, how do you respond to that kind of thinking about whether we are giving, sort of tech billionaires too much power over our discourse?
1: And they have a lot of power already, (laughs) but I think it's a really fair concern. And I think the way that we, there's sort of two ways that we can check it. One is, you know, A while ago, about two years ago when they started to crack down on what they found to be a lot of the, 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 the fake news sites that were involved in the 2016 election. The thing that really struck me about that crackdown because that had surfaced everybody thought it was a good thing was that the two groups that were disproportionately affected by it. This is back in 2017, were Facebook groups that focused on accountability for police, Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and a, and a lot of black activist Facebook groups, uh, in mm-hmm. particular black women, uh, were disproportionately targeted in that purge, and so that actually reinforces the concerns. Right. Um, the one thing that was missing, though, as a check on that, was that there was so little awareness uh, across the board within the news media, within the public, about what that crackdown actually meant. And people sort of bought p Facebook's PR spin that they had done a really good job of cleansing their system from bad things. So I think one actually relies on us and the media to be. More mindful about these things, right? Because they are sensitive to public pressure. I think the second check is in this case there was no new rule that was created. Um, in fact, the the single biggest rule, that, at least in Facebook's terms and, and Twitter, they had just finally decided to to enforce their incitement policy. Um, you know, Trump first called for a revolution after the 2012 election. Um, I would just remind everybody, it's not his first time uh, trying to overturn an election. Um, it's actually Facebook has this thing called the public figure exception. And what that basically means is that a public figure can do and say anything they want even against their rules and they won't enforce anything against them. So all Facebook did was say that in this circumstance, they're not gonna apply their public figure exception rule. And I would be fine with that if that was more universal, not less. So I I think it's a real concern. I will say I'm mindful of that, and I I think that's actually something that all of us have to be the check for, because alternatively there's there is no other check.
0: Yeah, I mean I I what my former colleague at Fusion is a guy named Kevin Roos, who's not the New York Times, and he every day on Twitter he just posts like the top ten yeah. <laughs> posts on Facebook, and they're just like the most insane right wing things you can ever imagine. So you know, on the one hand, there's that. I mean, because uh, the internet has sort of been taken over by these uh, basically private, tight corporate mega corporations, right? It's not—it's no longer this kind of open place. It's really like these private mega corporations built on top of it. And on the one, we can't have—we can't have a situation like that where like the top ten posts on Facebook are the just the, these insane right wing things. But also, like having Mark Zuckerberg decide what is okay and what is not okay seems problematic to me. I think the the what's always left out of this conversation is what the role of public policy is, um, mm-hmm. and you know, like I think that you can track a lot of the work that you do um, at Media Matters um, to the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine in the 1980s. and that that's what gave rise to right wing um, TV stations like Fox. So, you know, you know, like begging begging the tech oligarchs to Handle our democracy seems problematic to me, Um, and we don't. I'm I'm certainly not smart enough to understand what the best way to design a public policy um, for this kind of thing is, but it seems to me like the only solution, something that at least we have some role in as citizens.
1: Yeah, I think you're dead right, and I, you know, it's I've so internalized the brokenness of our politics that when um, when when asked about solutions, I don't even put that on the table. <laughs> um, and that's not because it's—it's it's actually you're dead right. Um, it's just I—I—I've I've literally pushed that so far away because it feels like such a for something so far away. Um, and but it, there are real simple solutions actually. Um, you know, I always use this example, which is uh, try to go to Facebook uh, and start a Facebook group. You know where it's like you know I love Marvel movies and it's just a Facebook group where you post and upload the latest Marvel movie and watch (laughs) it with your you know a couple of thousand. But you would never be able to do that. Like that would that's because it's against like they would get cracked down on, right? Um, There's all kinds of problems with that. They'd be facilitating copyright infringement. There's a framework that allows for for individuals to get action in this case the companies. There's public policy framework. If you push too much medical misinformation, right? I mean. They cracked down on all the toothpaste that was preventing COVID really fast because they actually Facebook would have been liable for that mm-hmm. um, uh, because they were helping promote it. So it's interesting, you know. There's a lot of simple public policy solutions too. There's some grand things that they need to do, but a simple one would just be to establish a quick duty of care that they have um, as it relates to this to to some of the promotion of disinformation. Even something as simple as you know that if you're going to give you know one of the things that really struck me is. Um, at one point, they weighted the algorithm to depress Mother Jones mm-hmm. um, because it was having higher reach and engagement than places like The Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's publication. Um, they, they literally tipped the scales in order to artificially manipulate what their algorithm was producing so that they didn't get right wing blowback. That that, could, that should easily be able to be regulated against the law, right? I mean, there are because that seems like consumer fraud to me, um, <laughs> even aside from the larger questions of, Broadcasting regulation. There are some really simple consumer pathways that I think are are probably very quickly achievable. That wouldn't get to the big, longer, huge structural changes in the landscape. And there obviously are some really we have to grapple with in terms of their power over us. Um, but I actually think are really fast and achievable, and empower those that are most likely to act, which are state AGs.
0: And uh, I, I want to ask you also about the role of television because I, you know, I used to work in television news. I think that um, in the current discourse, I mean, I'm not discounting the role of social media, but I think that it's probably overplayed to the actual nefarious role that television does. I mean, still, the vast majority of Americans get the majority of their news from television, um, and I wonder what the future of the cable news companies is in a post-Trump era. Um, what you know, you you probably watched more Fox than anyone in America as the CEO of Media Matters. Where does Fox go post-Trump? two
1: things one they kind of tipped their hands today um they you know just they, they just made an announcement that'll probably go into effect in a few days that um uh, that they are cutting back 1 hour of their supposed hard news programming and they're adding an additional hour of opinion programming um so that's an illustration that they're heading in the more Tucker Carlson Sean Hannity direction than in like the you know Fred Bear. Kind of liar, but not like doesn't want to set fires on things all the time. Direction, um, uh, and so they've given us a clue that they are going to try to center themselves as the voice of the opposition, uh, and sort of into to your point, actually sort of seize that 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 role. Um, the the part about Fox that I think is going to be really significant is you know Fox, the dirty secret about Fox is just like sort of online, but they cheat. Um, they don't need a single commercial. They're the only commercial media company in the world that does not need a single ad. If they had zero ads, they'd still have a ninety percent profit margin. That's because everybody that has cable pays them at least two dollars and fifty cents. They're the most, they're the second most expensive channel, in everybody's cable box after ESPN. So, you know, they're renegotiating all their rates right now with the cable providers. I think that you know how much noise gets made is going to depend on, on on what their revenue is, but ultimately, Fox is going to get a lot worse. They're a meteor that's getting pretty close to hitting the surface right now, so they're probably at their most dangerous.
0: Oh Well, that's a terrifying thought to ponder, yeah. uh, <laughs> more dangerous Fox News. Well, I think that that's a, a great place to end it. And Angela, thank you so much for thank joining you. us and the work you guys do at, at Media Matters. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with another great interview for you. Welcome back to the conversation. I'm your host Nando Vila, and I am here with our next guest, Matteo Escarapur. He is the author of a new novel called Black Buck, which has been described as Wolf of Wall Street meets Sorry to Bother You meets Fight Club, all movies that I very, very much like. It tells a story of a young black salesman at an all white tech startup. It's a story of how one man battles racism and microaggressions. To get to the top of a cult like startup. Mateo, thank you so much for joining us. Tell me, what's the book about? What 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 is this? What is this book?
2: I know it's a lot. It's living up to high expectations, especially if you like those three movies. It's about a young man named Darren. He's living in Bedside, Brooklyn with his mom in a brownstone that they own. He has his mother, his girlfriend, his best friends, his neighborhood, and they have him. He's working at a Starbucks at a midtown Manhattan location. And one day, this suave white dude, really good looking, silver tongued dude named Rhett Daniels comes in. And he's the CEO of a startup called Someone. And he says, you know, just give me my regular. But for some reason, Darren says no. And the dude's like, give me my regular. But Darren convinces him to buy another drink. So Rhett, impressed, invites Darren up to the 36th floor. And Darren reluctantly joins the sales team there. But he soon realizes that he's not the only black salesman there. He's the only black person in the entire company. Mm. So he fights through racism that's over and also subtle and, and almost mundane. And he gets to the top. But once he's there, he says, I don't like being the token black dude. So he hatches a plan to help other people of color infiltrate America's tech startup sales teams, redefining what it means to be a minority in the workplace.
0: Now I heard, I've heard never written a novel, but I've heard a truism that is like. You know what you got to do, you got to write what you know. So I'm wondering, is anything in this novel ring true to your own personal experience? Most definitely, I mean, I think what rings true are the feelings
2: in the novel. Um, What the characters feel, um, I have felt all of that. I have felt pride, I have felt ambition, I have felt betrayal, I I have felt lost. And it was important for me to Connect with myself deeply in order to imbue my characters with those same feelings that hopefully the readers will be able to feel. But in terms of my own autobiography, there are definitely some elements from my life that inspire this narrative. But as as to which those elements are, people are just going to have to read the book and then guess.
0: Now, and you know, it strikes me that you chose the world of startups as your target for satire I mean I think most people see the startup world as say more progressive than for example an oil company or a weapons mm-hmm. manufacturer or something like that right mm-hmm. um, but you chose the the startup world why why did you do that
2: well the startup world um, while definitely being progressive in some forms is still behind the ball in others right discussing something like race race, In many startup organizations is a dirty word. You never discuss race, you never discuss politics, you never definitely don't discuss religion. Um, So for me, I thought that it was right. And it's funny because people in the startup world would say something's right for disruption. And and I believe the same. But more concretely, it's because that's what I know best. Um, I came from that world of startups. I came from that world of sales. I've been living in America as a black man for my entire life. So the intersection of those three things just gave me a certain competency, I believe, to tell a story that would ring true to myself, to those I want to serve, and also to the nation that we're living in right now.
0: You know, writing a novel. I mean, you're you you're a young lad. You're what twenty nine? Um, you know, you make 29. me feel incredibly inadequate. I've never written. I'm thirty five and I've never written a book. So you got what? your own show, man. Well, yeah. I mean, this is way easier than writing a novel. Let me tell you. Just asking questions. (laughs) Come on. You guys got to give me all the interesting answers. I don't have to do anything interesting. (laughs) So, (laughs) what is what what was that process like? I mean, you know, would you just sit down and write? What's what's it like to write a whole friggin' book?
2: Yeah. Well, um, the way you put it, I think, is the simple mindset that that many people have to reach, which is you just sit down and write. Because if you overthink, then you're never going to come to the page, or you may get to the page, but then you'll stare timidly at a blank Word document. So to answer your question, none of this was really easy. This book, Black Buck, was the third manuscript that I'd worked on. The first two that I'd written um, never went anywhere. I didn't gain representation from an agent, I didn't get a book deal. They were really um, a form of trial and error for me because I don't have a formal writing background. I came from the world of sales and tech startups, thinking that all of a sudden I was gonna be this big writer. And then I was quickly humbled when it didn't work out, not once but twice. So for Black Buck, I got to a place where I call it effort mode basically, where I cared about getting a agent and a book deal for sure. But priority number one was to impress myself. And priority number two was to serve the people who I wanted the book to resonate with. So I got to a place where I could just, as you said, end sit down and write and do it as often as possible and without as much judgment, and it worked out. Fortunately.
0: Yeah. So, like, is this? Are you gonna? Are you? Is this gonna be your new thing? You're just gonna be a full time writer, or are you? Are you? Do you see yourself going back to the world of sales, <laughs> or do you? Or or is this gonna be now what you do? You're just gonna become a novelist.
2: And listen, brother, this book is like a face tattoo.
0: There's no going back.
2: <laughs> there's no, there's <laughs> no going back to <laughs> those worlds. People know who I am and what I'm about. Um, I'm certainly a writer, and I look forward to all that's to come.
0: And so I want to ask like, you know, this, this, the novel is obviously um, satirical in, in, in a way. Um, what do you think? Uh, you want people to get out of it. Like, what what is it that you want people to to let's say learn um, after reading your book?
2: Well, it it really depends on who we're asking. Um, for some people, I want them to know that they're not alone in their experiences of being the resident other in some of these environments. Um, that they're not paranoid, they're not overly sensitive, and they're not crazy when they think that something wrong is happening. Um, and for other people, I want them to ruthlessly and honestly and with a large amount of courage examine themselves and their own role in this narrative um, of this book, but also of this world that we live in. And hopefully, through that self examination, through people not feeling alone, it'll lead to um, action and action that leads to progress. Ideally, I know it's lofty, man.
0: No 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 hey honestly I always say that politics happens I mean Steve Bannon was right that politics happens downstream from culture that's a very gramscian <laughs> thing and I subscribe to it 100%. So yeah I'm I'm with you. and I guess my my question would be now that you have the face tattoo and that there's no going back give us a give us a scoop are you like are you kicking around any new ideas what's 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 next for what's next for you?
2: Um, I feel fortunate that um, I'm not missing ideas, right? I, I, in fact, have too many ideas. So it's just about refining them and figuring out which ones to work on. So I am working on another novel. Um, we got some screen related things Ooh. in the work, that's all I'll say. And um, I'm fortunate that people are feeling the book so far and, and I'm just receiving new opportunities. So I take all of it with grace and I look forward to the future.
0: Now you, like me, have a very impressive bookshelf right behind us. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have a bottle of wine. You got some nice stuff back there. Right. What, what books um, have made a big impact on you that you've read that inspired you to sit down and write a friggin' book?
2: Yeah, well, um, one of them would be the Sellout by Paul Beatty. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading this around the time that I began this book, and that book is just. Insane. When people talk about satire and absurdity, that book showed me that if I took the time and I really worked on my craft, then I could push the envelope of what it means to write a book and, and what it means to write fiction. So that was certainly one, I'm a big Philip Roth fan, I'm a big Toni Morrison fan, um, a, a book like Tar Baby from Toni Morrison is incredible. Um, Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson Spires. It just goes on and on and on, Um, we don't have enough time. But yeah, those are are just a couple books, as well as uh, The Angry Ones by John A. Williams. That was a big one for me too.
0: Yeah, and it just strikes me also that you you chose to make your hero a salesman. I mean, there's there's such a great tradition of salesman heroes, like from, you know Willie Loman, obviously the most famous mm-hmm. one. Like, what what is your hero like? What is his what is his superpower, so to speak? Well, he's
2: somewhat of an anti hero because he does get lost along the way. But one of his superpowers is that he rises to the occasion. Whatever the occasion may be, and he comes to it with pure intentions. But like many of us, he becomes corrupted by power. Right? I believe it was a man named Lord Byron who said, "Absolute power corrupts absolutely," and we definitely see that with our character. But I'm hoping that he has enough endearing traits for our readers to follow him through thick and thin. And that by the end, the reader says, "Okay, I might have not liked this guy for the majority of the book, but I understand why things happened, and I'm still rooting for him."
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end it, Mateo. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You know, you this is going to be the first book available on the first fiction book available on the TYT shop, which is very exciting. You can find it there very soon. Mateo Report, thank you so much. The book is called Black Buck. Check it out. You're going to enjoy it.
2: Thank you for your time. Be safe, everybody.